going to be looking today at Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 31. Hebrews chapter 10, 26 through 31. And in our study today, we want to be talking about the willful sinner. In our text, one of the things that we need to understand is that the writer throughout the course of his book is addressing saints, that is, Hebrew Christians who were on the verge of going back to Judaism. Some had either gone back and were possibly thinking about going back to the very law of Moses that had already been nailed to the cross by Jesus. And so the whole book is really an exhortation to those to faithfulness. And the idea is, why would you want to go back to that old law? Why would you want to go back to that Mosaic law? Why go back to an inferior system, the system of Christ, the dispensation of Christ, is far superior than that old Mosaic law. Now, having said that, in looking at Hebrews 10, as we think about faithfulness, or as we think about the willful sinner, what you and I need to understand is that there is a vast difference between the individuals who are striving to live a faithful Christian life and those who simply just seem to walk, walk away and just give up. Vast difference. Now John talks about it in 1 John 1, 6, when he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And then in verse 7, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. And so on the one hand, you have individuals who could care less about how they're living. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there are those who are striving to do their very best. And John says that the blood of Christ is that which avails in their life. And so what about the willful sinner? Well, the first thing that I noticed here is that is one's reception of the Lord. But he is one who accepts the Lord Jesus Christ. These are individuals who receive or accept the Lord through their obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And throughout the New Testament, the Bible is very explicit terms that talks about how that we become New Testament Christians. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 22, Peter says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Now, it's very important that we understand what is the truth. In John 17, 17, John tells us that sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is true. So when we're obeying the truth, we're obeying the very word of God under the dispensation in which we live today. That is the New Testament. We obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then ultimately we enjoy a purification process, if you will. What all does this entail? Well, it entails us that we have faith in the Lord Jesus, faith in him. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so 
we read Hebrews 11 and then over and over again, you will see individuals that are spoken of in that particular chapter, those that we might call the great heroes of faith, that we read people about people who demonstrated both faith and obedience to the law. And so it is, there is faith. But then there's also repentance or the turning away from sin. Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish, Luke 13, 3. And so individuals then make the good confession of the sweet name of Jesus. They make this public acknowledgement that they believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And in Acts 8, 37, we read of the eunuch who, having heard about Jesus Christ, the very son of God, said, see, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Well, Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And they commanded the chariot to stand still, and they both went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. He come up out of that water and went on his way rejoicing why he had salvation. He understood what he needed to do to become a Christian, and he became one, a New Testament Christian. And then finally, one is baptized, as we just learned there, or immersed in water for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Baptism is for the washing away of sins, Acts 22.16. Now, when individuals obey the gospel, then they are ushered in to the covenant relationship with the Lord. They belong to Him now, no longer yourself. They enjoy all the benefits, the very blessings of Christianity altogether. And so when one is receptive to the Lord, then he or she then first obeys the gospel, the good news. And then secondly, he or she is ordered, that is, he or she lives in an orderly life that is based on the gospel. Once you and I become a Christian, We are not at liberty to do just as we please. Paul asked a question in Romans 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, right? Ever since we have obeyed the gospel and basked in all those blessings and the favors of God, since we have this abundant grace that is abounding in our lives, can we just live as we please? No. Here's his response, verse 2 there, God forbid. Here's the reason he asked, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You see, when you and I have obeyed the gospel, we basically said that we're getting out of the sinning business. That was the past. We're now looking towards the future. The future is with God in Christ in heaven. We're getting out of that sinning business. We're giving up that way of life. Now, there is a vast difference in somebody stumbling or somebody making a mistake, giving into temptation, and somebody who just walks away and says, I don't care about living for Christ anymore. A vast difference. I don't care what the Bible says, they might say. I'm going to do whatever I want to do and how I want to do it. And when I want to do it. A vast difference, isn't it? And so when we obey the gospel, we understand that we are walking in compliance with the very will of God. We are to do what the Bible says to do. In Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, 
Paul said, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so there is a certain way that we should live, right? In 1 Timothy 4, in verse 16, Paul, writing to young Timothy, he says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing so thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. The idea is that we follow the doctrine of Christ, that we obey what the Bible has to say. You know, John tells us that whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. But he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he had both the Father and the Son. Second John 9. And so there's the danger, if you will, of walking away from the Lord. And those who have obeyed the gospel, those who have been receptive to the Lord, who have accepted the Lord based on his terms and their lives, are ordered by the gospel. Now in Hebrews 10 and verse 25, or verse 26 there, the writer talks about if we sin willfully, willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth. And there's that idea of being receptive to the truth. But what about those who repudiate the Lord or those who have renounced the Lord, those who reject the Lord, that is, they abdicate their relationship to the Lord. They are the ones who just walks away from the Lord, from it all. What's their state? What is their condition, if you will? What does the Hebrew writer say? Listen to him in verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. What is he talking about? First of all, he's wanting you to understand about the danger. Do you remember that the book of Hebrews is an exhortation to faithfulness? You have Hebrew Christians who are either on the verge of going back to Judaism or who have already gone back. To Judaism. And the writer is telling us here, why would you want, or telling them especially, why would you want to go back to an inferior system? Why? And so throughout the book, there are these warnings. There are danger signs, if you will. Now, look at Hebrews 2 and verse 1, for example. In Hebrews 2 and verse 1, the writer says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip or drift from them. You see, here is somebody who is drifting spiritually. And then in verse 3 there, the question is asked, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Well, here is somebody who is neglecting his or her spiritual life. How do we do that? How do you and I neglect our spiritual life? Well, here are just a couple of ways. Number one, we just tune out the Word of God. In Hebrews 5 and verse 11, the writer tells us, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, the saints were in danger of drifting. 
And one of the byproducts is that, is that became, they became dull in their hearing of what the Bible says. They were not growing as they should. Now the Hebrew writer talked about it in verse 12 there, how for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again the first principles, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And so here is somebody just drifting in his or her spiritual life. I, I've been told that even a dead fish can float downstream. All right? That's the idea here, is that when one is drifting from his spiritual life, he is actually dead in the sense of his spiritual life because he is basically about to walk away. He's turning a deaf ear to the Word of God. Now, also, you can drift in your spiritual life if you forsake the worship assembly as well. Notice verse 25 of Hebrews 10. The writer says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. Listen to him. As the manner of some is. That's interesting, isn't it? Some were not faithful in their worship to God. Some people will say, well, do I have to come back on Sunday night? Do I have to come back Wednesday night? My question would be, why wouldn't you want to be back? Why wouldn't you want to learn and understand and know more about God and His Word that will give you a home in heaven? Why wouldn't you? That's a good question, isn't it? Why would you not want to be where the saints meet? These are the people that, if you want to go to heaven, these will be the people that will be with you in heaven as we work together to help each other go to heaven. Now, can you think of anything from a negative standpoint that would hurt you spiritually by coming back on Sunday night or when we meet again? Can you think of a negative point, standpoint? Can you think of anything <clears throat> that could impede your spiritual growth by not coming back to the worship assembly on Sunday evening or to any Bible study of course, I understand we live in a different time now with the COVID. But why would you not want to be? Is there anything that could impede your spiritual growth? I can't think of one valid reason why one would not want to be able to come back. I understand the reasons of why some people can't come back. Maybe they are sick. Maybe they have to work. But we're talking about the willful sinner, Right? We're not talking about those who are sick and those that have to work. But it's interesting to me that in Hebrews 10, verse 25, he talks about forsaking of the assembly. And then in verse 26, he talks about some, somebody who abdicates the faith. There has to be a correlation here, right? There has to be a correlation in our faithfulness to worship and our service to go you can't separate those two. And so these people, they were on the verge of drifting. Some were already drifting. And so they were neglecting the word of God. And thus they were neglecting their worship to God. Now, sometimes in individuals who are drifting also neglect the work of God. The work of the church is not exclusive to the role of the preacher. Unbeknown to a lot of people. Or even just to the elders of the church. Or even to the work of the deacons. There is something for everybody to do. We are a family. We think about that in our own families together. 
We want every child or every person doing something that adds to that family, right? Well, why would we not want that in the spiritual family of God as well? There is something for everybody to do. In Hebrews 6 and verse 10, the Hebrew writer said, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Now, he wasn't just writing to the preacher. He wasn't just writing to the elders of the church or to the deacons. He was talking to those Hebrew Christians. Thus, he is talking to us today. That God will not forget our work and labor of love. You and I, all of us, have something that we can do that can contribute to the cause of Christ. There is something that all of us can do to help build the work of the church in this community. And it takes all of us working together. I heard somebody come in and said that it takes a village. Well, it takes all of us as the family of God, right? To help each other out. That's right. There is something that all of us can do. It takes all of us working together. Now, when you neglect that work, the work of the church, you're in danger of drifting. And especially spiritually speaking. When we engage in the work of the church, we are doing so not for our own glory and our own praise, but rather to bring honor and glory and praise to God the Father. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. And so these people were in danger of drifting. But then secondly, they were in danger of departing from the Lord. Not just drifting from the Lord, but departing from the Lord. Over in Hebrews 3 and verse 12, we find that the writer tells us there that the saints to whom he was writing, he said they needed to take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He cautioned them about the deceitfulness of sin becoming hardened by way of sin in verse 13. So what then would they have departed with? Some of them would have gone back to Judaism. Why would you go back to Judaism? The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 10 and verse 4, for it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. So nothing under the old law could bring you salvation without Christ. Now, why would you want to go back to that old law? Why would you go back to this inferior system? Now, today, there may be some who maybe they're not on the verge of going back to Judaism, but maybe they would go back to denominationalism. In other words, they would go back to a man-made institution. Why, why leave the body of Christ? Why leave the fellowship of the saints? Others may go back. Others may depart. Others might go back into the world. Peter talks about those who have received the, the truth, that is, after they, had, they have escaped the corruption, the pollutions that are in the world, to acknowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He said they are again entangled therein and overcome. They were once there. They went back to the world and to the other things, the corruption and the pollution of the world, but they are again entangled therein. 
Now here's a picture of somebody who goes back into the world. They leave the Lord. And so there is the danger of drifting from the Lord. There is the danger from departing from the Lord. But then there's another point that we see here. That not only the danger, not only the departing, but the declaration. Listen, if you will, to the declaration made by the Hebrew writer here in Hebrews 10 and verse 26. For these people were on the verge of going back to Judaism, we understand that, who were on the verge of leaving the Lord. He says, for if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Here is something for us to think about. When people leave the Lord, they are in a perilous condition. Why is that? Number one, according to the Hebrew writer, they are in trouble with the Lord. They are in trouble with the Lord. You just think about being in trouble with the Lord. You know, sometimes we are in trouble, physically speaking. Sometimes maybe on the job, maybe we're not producing enough, or maybe we're not doing what we should do. Maybe we're being a little lazy and, and, uh, in that aspect. And we're in trouble in our place as an employee, at risk of getting fired, which could be at risk losing everything else too as well. But here the writer is not talking about our physical condition. He's not talking about our place of employment. No, he is saying if you leave the Lord, you are in trouble. You are in trouble with the Lord. Now, why is that? Now, notice again, verse 27. He says, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. There's a word there that I want you to see, and that's the word adversaries. If you leave the Lord you are now classified as an adversary. Did you think about that? You are now an adversary. Now, why you're in trouble and while you're in trouble with the Lord, there's no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground. When it comes to our service for the Lord, Jesus said in Matthew 10 or Matthew 12 and verse 30, he that is not with me is what? Against me. That's right. That is, we are either for the Lord Jesus Christ or we are against him. Now, there's no neutral ground. We're either among the saved or we're among the lost. Which is it? No neutral ground when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Now, that's why we read over in Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22, about the church at Laodicea, that they had become lukewarm. They were on neutral ground. They were neither hot nor cold. And thus in verse 16 of that text, Jesus said, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I would rather that you be hot or that you be cold, not on a neutral ground, because that's not going to get you anywhere. That's not going to get you anywhere. Those who leave the Lord, they are in trouble. And I mean, they are in serious trouble. That's what the Hebrew writer here is saying. If you want to talk about trouble, he said, this is the trouble to the greatest degree. But now, why is it that they are in trouble with the Lord? Well, notice here as he talks about their treatment of the Lord. Here's why they are in such great trouble. Here's why they are viewed as an adversary, if you will. Notice verse 28. 
He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. If you go back to the old law and look at the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see that those who engaged in, for example, idolatry, they would be put to death based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Here's what the writer is saying. You think that was bad? Listen to this, verse 29. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall be thought worthy, who have trodden underfoot the Son of God. Number one, those who leave the Lord, they are trampling underfoot the Son of God. Can you imagine somebody just having absolutely no care at all for how that they treat the Lord? I I can't even imagine. They're treating him with content, with disdain. But I hear people sometimes take the Lord's name in vain. And I'm thinking they're trampling underfoot the Son of God. I hear people sometimes speak profanely about the way of Christianity. Again, trampling underfoot the Son of God. You think about somebody who's trampling underfoot the very Son of God. Imagine somebody coming into your home and taking some of your finest things, just destroying them, throwing them out, walking on them. Just recently, there were people that had a vendetta against our country. And one of the things that they would do is they would take that American flag and they would set it on fire. Others would then take and put it on the ground and walk all over it. Now, we know that that ain't right. But think about somebody trampling underfoot the very Son of God. The Hebrew writer here is saying, you need to be careful because that you are trampling underfoot the Son of God. But then he doesn't stop here. He says, and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, a common thing, basically. The idea is that they're taking a very light and a very flippant view of the death of Jesus. They are treating the death of Jesus as if it were the death of any common person. Now, we know that's not the case because the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Can you imagine people treating the blood of Jesus in a contemptuous way, in a very common way. I think about that centurion that beheld the very death of Jesus on the cross. And I had to give him credit when Jesus died on the cross because he said, truly, this was the Son of God, Matthew 27, 54. When people leave the Lord, they need to understand that they are in trouble with the Lord. And they are in trouble with the Lord because they are trampling who have trodden underfoot the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, a common thing. And then he said, and have done despite unto the Spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit is the one who had given us the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the one that had given unto us this beautiful scheme of redemption that we call the Bible. There are some people that have turned a deaf ear to the Word of God. 
They try to insult or wound the very work of the church and of the Holy Spirit. And really that's the idea there. You can see why that when people engage in willful sin, in willful sin they, they are in trouble with the Lord. I'm telling you, when people leave the Lord, they are in more trouble than they could ever imagine. But then thirdly, when we look at Hebrews 10, we read about the retribution from the Lord. That is, ultimately, those who leave the Lord to go back into the world, to leave his covenant. They will have to give an account unto him one day. Maybe that's something that people need to think about. There is a judgment day coming whether you like it or not. The, the Bible teaches that. Notice what is said in verse 30 of our text. For we know him that has said, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again, the Lord shall judge his people. Now, a lot of times we think about people in the world of never obeying the gospel. And we may think, well, on the day of judgment, the, the Lord is going to settle the score, isn't he? He's going to settle the score. He is. Paul said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Paul wrote in Romans 14 and verse 11, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. There will come that time. Every nation, every person under heaven will give an account of himself to God of where they stand before the Lord. Now the writer here, the Hebrew writer here is saying, let me tell you that since you have obeyed the truth, since you have come to the knowledge of the truth, obeyed the truth, right? If you have the idea that you're going to escape the judgment, you've got another thing coming. You've got another thing coming. Go back and look again at what he says in verse 29. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who have trodden under the foot of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he has sanctified and or was sanctified an unholy thing and had done despite into the spirit of grace. The idea is that when we stand before God one day to give an idea of our condition, notice verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The writer is telling us that if we die outside of Christ, if we die unprepared to meet the Lord, it is a thing fearful beyond belief. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2, 20-22, that those who obey the gospel and renounce the Christian way of life, he said that the latter end is worse for them than in the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to the wallowing in the mire. An ugly, repulsive, despicable picture presented by Peter, but it's the truth. It's the truth. So here's the question. Are you faithful or are you unfaithful? Are you faithful or are you unfaithful? Are you on safe ground or are you on perilous ground? 
You know the answer. You know what you need to do to fix that, to make things right. And if you're here today or maybe even watching online, and maybe you've gone back into the world, once you have obeyed the gospel, you've done the will of God, but then you've gone back into the world, I cannot encourage you strong enough to get your heart right with God once again. Make things right. Do it today. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're online. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel. Can I encourage you to obey? To come to the knowledge of the truth by hearing the word of God, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. By repenting of your sins, turning away from those things that are wrong to that which is right. To make that good confession of the sweet name of Jesus and be baptized in that way.